Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is? Half-Hump Day! Good morning and happy Hump Day. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us for the next three hours. We've got Ask Uncle Randy coming up. We've got Brad Underwood. We've got David Perron. Quite a day. Michelle, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing great. And I just want everyone listening to know that Randy Carriker is dressed up today. He's wearing a button-down shirt. He's wearing a blazer, a camel-colored blazer. You look great. You look so professional, Randy. Did you see our window as you walked in? I did not see the window because our place is under construction, yeah. so the windows are covered. But I, I didn't check it out. What's going so on? So I always kiss up to the big bosses when they come in from Minneapolis, and they're coming <laughs> in today. And our CFO of the company, Dave Bessler, one time I put his picture up above my desk, <laughs> and he loved it. So every time he comes into town, he says, hey, where's my picture? And since we don't have an office right now because of the renovations taking place at this station, on our window outside our studio... I put a sign that says, Carriker and Smallman welcome the world's greatest radio executives. And then pictures of Ginny Morris, who's our uh, CFO, or CEO, she's the the chairman of the company, and Dave Bessler, who's our, our CFO. And the rest of the people coming in, and I want them to see that we really do love them, and I want them to know that I dress up like this every day, Michelle. Uh, thank you for your effort. I dressed up as much as I'm going to today. I, in fact, did not wear sweatpants. Um, but thank you for taking the initiative to kiss up. I'm happy to jump on this bandwagon. Oh, yeah, they love us. It's great. So you weren't here. I was telling the story to Matthew Rocchio and Michelle yesterday. Uh, Ginny Morris, our chairman, came in several months ago when we got into place and COVID had kind of passed. And she gets together with all the morning shows. And by the way, The Arch with uh, Courtney and Brando, they actually had a contest and they counted the words of everybody in the room. And then they they picked who, who would say the most. And it was like me and Riz that they picked. And I think Riz said more words than I did. They actually counted our words. Wow. So anyway, it was us and it was the Courtney show and it was you, man, and Favaz. And it was the morning show from WIL and it was the Riz show. And we're all in this meeting and Ginny, our chairman, sweetest billionaire you could ever meet, uh, her phone goes off. She doesn't have her phone muted. And I'm sitting right next to her and I go, come on, Ginny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did, did she laugh? Did she think it was funny? Because that's a uh, risk, a, Randy. A little pause and then a laugh. Okay, good. Because that's a risk. It was a risk. Yeah, sometimes you just have to have fun with your bosses. I try to. I love it. Yeah. But you know what? 
She knows. She knows how you feel. The sign oh, yeah. is on the wall. Yeah. The writing is we on the her. wall. Yeah. Now we don't know how the Blues are feeling. They've dropped four out of five or four in a row now. Uh, after the th- last three games of the road trip, they fell last night to the Ottawa Senators by a score of four to one. And in the first period, after Tim Stutzy had scored for Ottawa, we started feeling pretty good because this is Carriker and Smallman. Barbashev takes a glove to the face. Blues get it to Perron. He scores. They've tied the game. David Perron with a goal. 5-17 to go in the first. We're 1-1. One one. And we're thinking, okay, David Perron's on the show tomorrow. He's probably going to get another. The Blues are going to roll against the Senators. Yeah, this is what happened. It's called the Carriker and Smallman bump. For those who don't know, mm-hmm. when people come on our show, they tend to perform well afterwards. Oh, or if they're coming yeah. on the show, they tend to perform well before they come on the show. See David Perron last year. Also see Adam Wainwright. Unfortunately for us, Josh Norris scored a power play goal, 124 into the second to make it 2-1. And we didn't think about this. Brady Kachuk was playing in last night's game for the Senators, too. They get it to Brady Kachuk. He shoots and scores. Another turnover by the Blues, and the Senators are beating the Blues 3-1 with 12-12 to go in the third. The... Senator to score a late one, win at 4-1, to one, and Brady Kachuk was on the show yesterday. Yeah, so you knew that was coming. We, yeah. we felt a Brady Kachuk goal coming. Randy, I'm starting to think we need to have some Blues defensemen on the show. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. You know, maybe that's the play. Yeah, okay, good thought. I like that. We'll because, do it. We'll work on that. Because if we can have the character and Smallman bump, let's just spread it throughout the team. I think we need to be nicer to the defensemen. You're exactly right. So after the game, the Blues players are saying, hey, we need to simplify our game, eh? Because that's hockey. You, mm-hmm. if, if you're losing, you got to simplify your game. That's right. And coach Craig Berube, how do you get players to simplify? I mean, it's obviously we got, you know, showing video and community and talking to guys and trying to get them to play a simpler game right now because things aren't going very well. Um, we're not executing very well out there. So it's important that you don't have your A game. You know, you're not right on top of your game right now, which we're not. It's important that you don't give the other team freebies. Got a tweet last night asking if we should start warming up the panic bus. Now, now this team isn't playing as well as it can. If they, if they were playing as well as they can and they had lost four in a row, I would feel differently. I would start thinking about the panic bus. If they had guys that were out for the season or if it looked like guys had fallen off the cliff because of age, I would feel differently. They just, like Ruby said, they're just not playing well right now. But they'll be fine. They're, this is the dog days. There's 25 games left. They'll be fine. They'll find their game. They actually had a stretch where they lost four out of five in 2019, including losses to Arizona, Ottawa, and Buffalo. And they wound up winning the Stanley Cup. So they'll be fine. Yeah, it's just that stretch during the season where fatigue might be setting in a little bit, not making Mm -hmm. excuses for this team. But you're right. I don't think it's a skill set issue. It might be an energy issue. It might be an effort issue. It might be an execution issue. But... I would feel more panicked if I thought it was a skill issue. Now, I do think that the past stretch of games might influence Doug Armstrong and what he's intending to do as the trade deadline nears because it does seem like you need to make a move to fortify this team if you really believe Mm -hmm. that this isn't a skill issue and that this team is good enough to go in the playoffs. Then He's likely looking at every possible angle for him to go make a move to make this team better and position them to do just that. Blues and Rangers tomorrow night at Enterprise 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, MLB owners and players met last night. Let me give you some numbers. On February 17th, three weeks ago, the players were asking for a pre-arbitration pool of $115 million. 
The owners were offering $15 million. Last night, the owners came in at $40 million. So they've increased their offer there, although it's not to the level that the players wanted on February 17th. On February 17th, players wanted the luxury tax, the CBT, to start at $230 million. And at the end of the contract, it, after five years, end at two hundred forty-five. This is three weeks ago. The players asked, 230 start, 245 end. Last night, the owners offer... A start of 230 and an end of 242 with an extra tier to protect Steve Cohen against himself. And players are resistant to that. Uh, it's another tier that goes up to 260 that would charge teams that uh, spend payroll beyond 260. But essentially, before that, that extra luxury tax, owners are where the players wanted three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, the players wanted 775 as a minimum. Owners were offering 615. Right now, they basically agreed on 700 million dollars for the CBT. The owners have taken away with their latest proposal the qualifying offer for players that requires essentially a team to pay for getting a player because draft choices are involved. There will be no draft choices involved. There will no be be no qualifying offer, but that's tied to an international draft. Right now, players in Latin America and players in Japan and players in Korea aren't subject to the draft. They're all free agents. And so the owners want to have every player in the world subject to the draft, kind of like the NBA does. And that's one thing the players are resistant to. Why? I don't know. But that's one of the trade-offs. The players would have to give up having free agency for Latin and and Asian players so that they wouldn't have a qualifying offer. It seems to me that this is pretty close to what the players were asking for on February 17th with a tweak here, a tweak there. It seems to me like this is a pretty good deal for the players. Well, I'm glad then that we wasted all that time. Yeah. I'm glad that if this was the initial deal that was offered at, at early to mid-February that he were sitting here on March 9th and now we've arrived at the fact that it's okay. Well, and especially with that, everybody is that's covering this says the luxury tax is the biggest thing. And the players didn't move an iota. They haven't moved at all. They started at 2.30, and the owners right now are at 2.30. At the beginning of this, Randy, and even at certain points during it, I was looking at the numbers. I was thinking about which side I thought was being reasonable or unreasonable. I don't know about you. I've arrived at the point where... I couldn't care less about the numbers. I couldn't care less who wins. I just think both sides are being so short-sighted and foolish yeah. that I don't even care about the intricacies of these negotiations anymore. And I wonder how many people that care about baseball actually care if the players are being taken to the woodshed or if the owners mm-hmm. are, are being ridiculous in what they're asking. I wonder if people even care or if they're just looking at this generally as I am mad at baseball as a whole. They should be. They should be mad at baseball entirely. And by the way, when I look at these numbers, players came in obviously one a win. To me, this would be a win. If, if they can get the CBT up there and have a minimum of $700 million, a $700 million or a $700,000 minimum, 60% of the players in baseball make the minimum. That'll cost owners $900 million a year, almost a billion dollars a year, just with the increased minimum. Yeah, they'll look at it as a, as a win, but at what cost? At what cost did you guys get a win? And I understand that they're looking at not only the present, but the future for generations behind them, the players that are coming up next. I understand what the player's position is, but when you think about how many people you've alienated and the damage that has been done to your product because you guys couldn't come to an agreement, and I know that this is on the owners too, it's not just the players, it's the entire entity. At what cost did you guys get to this point? They don't believe there is a cost. That's the troubling thing here is that they... The fans are not a part of their thought process. For some people, they are. But in general, 
players, former players, owners, former owners, they think, ah, fans will come back. It'll be just the same as it was. We'll see if that's the case. A couple of big moves yesterday in the NFL. If you haven't heard yet, Roger, Aaron Rodgers reportedly, according to the Ian Rappaport of NFL Media, is going to sign an extension with the Packers. Four years, $200 million. And Russell Wilson, later in the day, traded to Denver. Russell Wilson... Two firsts, two seconds, and a fifth for Drew Locke, former Mizzou quarterback, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, tight end Noah Fant, and a fourth-round pick. So an earth-shaking day in the NFL yesterday. Aaron Rodgers makes his big announcement that he's returning only to be completely upstaged by this massive move between the Seahawks and the Denver, uh, the Denver Broncos sending Russell Wilson there. And, Randy, I kept saying all along, Russell Wilson, more than any quarterback or maybe any player in the NFL is so concerned about his image. Mm -hmm. He uses the media to project his messaging. And what has the messaging been? If you pay attention, I don't want to be here. I want to get out. Whether he had veiled it with let's go Hawks or no, I feel more comfortable. He was having his agent and all of these other people leak things to the media and do some of the dirty work to send out the smoke signals to other teams. I want to get out of here. So even though reports a week ago said everything pointing to Russell Wilson staying in Seattle, kumbaya, we're we're all happy. I said, no way. I still think he wants to be on the move. So this did not surprise me at all. What did surprise me is the reports coming out that Denver never really thought Aaron Rodgers yeah. was a target and that they were never really going to engage with Green Bay because Russell Wilson was always the guy because Aaron Rodgers coach goes there. It seems like the natural fit for him. That's what surprised me. And now that AFC West, everybody has been talking about this. It's going to be a bear to get through the AFC West with Wilson joining Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Derek Carr. Mizzou plays tonight SEC tournament action at 5 o'clock against Ole Miss. SLU will play tomorrow at 1.30 against the winner of tonight's LaSalle St. Joseph's game. And Illinois plays at 11 o'clock in the morning on Friday. And we're going to talk to Brad Underwood, their coach, at the bottom of the hour. We're off and running. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We have Ask Uncle Randy coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Talk to Illinois coach Brad Underwood at the bottom of the hour. But right now, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle has your questions for me. And hey, we're getting to that time of year. It's a little warmer. We've got daylight savings time coming up. This is spring, Michelle. This is uh, when young love blooms. And hey, Uncle Randy's been around the block a little bit. And I've got answers to your questions. So fire away. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, what do you got? Some great questions on deck today, Randy. Do you want to start with a sports question or a non-sports question? Let's start with a sports question. All right. From the 636, dear Uncle Randy, how close do you think the Cardinals are to having a new big three between Dylan Carlson, Nolan Gorman, and Jordan Walker? That's a very good question. I would think that we're three years away from those three establishing themselves enough, especially Jordan Walker. I know he's on the fast track, but I can't imagine that he's going to be considered part of a big three in the next two years. So I would say in the 2025 season, 2022, 2023, 2024, I would say it'll take three full years and it'll be the 2025 season. 
if this goes on long with baseball, perhaps we have an entire season that that's missed. How will that impact your projections? Then baseball will never have another big three. Wow. Because they won't be considered big by anybody. <laughs> They'll just be three dudes. Yeah. <laughs> that's sad. Yeah, you're is. probably yeah, right. Just go out and watch softball at Forest Park. We've got a bunch of guys hitting home runs. Some heated battles there, though. Oh, it's great. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. Softball at Forest Park is the best. Slam some man sodas from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy, my wife is pregnant. She's congratulations. D- yeah, congratulations. She's due in June, mm-hmm. guys. What is the time frame before or after the due date where a weekend golf trip is off limits? Okay, it's just a weekend golf trip. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm assuming, I'll just go middle of the month. So June 15th, okay? So I'm going to say that your deadline this year, she's due in June. Let me just check the calendar quickly. This is important because this is a very good question. And I don't think enough people care enough about their spouse. So it's Wednesday, June 15th. That's uh, I'm going to say that's your due date. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go that weekend of May 14th. And 15th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. That gives her a complete month. And hey, some babies are born prematurely. So you have to keep that in mind. So I would say a month before. And then you really do. And I, I hate to do this to you. But you're three months afterwards. If it's your first kid, it's three months. Because that's when the kid starts sleeping through the night. I love, though, that this person knows that they can't ask their wife this question or even broach yeah. the subject, nope. or they're coming to you, Uncle Randy. Yeah. So, by the way, uh, so May 15th for that one, June, July, August, September is a great time for a golf trip. So you could do that weekend of September 16th, 17th, 18th, maybe find a college football game or a pro football game to go to and go play some golf and uh, enjoy a baseball or a ba- football game. Uh, in September as well. So, yeah, thanks. For that. That's that's really good. And I told you guys the other day that I have never, this is 27 and a half years now, and I have still never heard the end of playing golf on the day that we brought Patrick home. Now, he was going to come home at 2, 3 in the afternoon. So I could go play golf or I could go sit around in a hospital. What are you going to do? Sit in the hospital. I played golf. <laughs> I still haven't heard the end of it. Do you regret that decision? Yes. <laughs> See? Learn from Uncle Randy's mistakes, everyone. Yes, I, I do regret it. Um, from the 636. I didn't play that well either. Oh, well, probably because there was guilt in your subconscious. <laughs> Clearly there wasn't. <laughs> maybe maybe deep, 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 deep subconscious. Yeah, in the deep, dark chambers of your brain, Randy, <laughs> there was a voice saying, you should be at the hospital. <laughs> You're going to regret this. Your wife is fuming. The baby's crying. So it's such a hassle. And she was in labor forever. I mean, we got to the hospital at one in the morning and she didn't have the baby until eight, nine at night. So between like, he was like born at like eight, 19 or something like that. Man, that was brutal. Was probably more brutal for her than me, but still it was brutal. Yeah, I'd go ahead and say it was probably more brutal for her, Randy. Yeah. But what a trooper you were. Sitting there all that time, you deserved to golf. I even got in trouble for going and letting the dogs out. Well, that you had to do. I know. That you, <laughs> you had to do. 
<laughs> or you could have someone do it for you, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know. Okay, from the 636, speaking of uh, disasters or bad decisions, uh, dear Uncle Randy, my best friend is going to propose to his girlfriend. However, my wife has uncovered that the girlfriend plans to say no. Do I tell him about this? And if so, how? Okay. This is a tough one because if she knows you're going to ask, you know what? Even if if she knows and you found out, I would think that it will eliminate a lot of discomfort if you just don't ask. Is that the question? Well, he's he's saying that he knows his buddy's going to propose to yeah, his girlfriend. Yeah. The girlfriend doesn't want to get engaged. And so he, does, does he tell him? Does he tell him? Tell him, yeah. Tell him. Say, hey. My wife and I both know that you're going to ask. Your fiance knows that you're going to ask. My wife found out that she's going to say no. So let's avoid pain and discomfort here. And let's go play golf. And don't ask her. Yeah, but, return that ring in, in the you know and under the policy yeah. so you get the full refund. So yeah, I would absolutely tell him that it's... And maybe just say, hey, I, I the streets are talking. I wouldn't ask her. The streets are t- always blame the streets. Yep. Always point to the streets. Yeah. But what if the girl is just expressing her feelings to this guy's wife and she's just getting cold feet, but in the moment she would say yes. You don't know what's going to happen in that moment. Everybody blacks out. Some people make different decisions. But do you want to marry somebody based on an in-the-moment hot situation when cooler heads are prevailing? She's saying, I would say no. I, I wouldn't so want tough. to marry somebody who's in their most level-headed times are saying, no, I'm not going to say yes to that guy. But all of a sudden, he says, will you marry me? And she says, oh, I can have a wedding. Yes. But this is tricky because if you tell your buddy this, and if he's obviously very in love with this person and they're still together... He, that's going to be hard for him to handle. There's going to be a lot of denial there. He's not going to believe you. And yeah. so you're going to cause friction within your friendship. So maybe the idea is just to have the conversation in a manner in which you say, hey, are you sure that this is the one? And also lay the groundwork for, well, what if she says no? Bingo. There you go. Best advice you've ever given. Just float that out there. Yeah. What if she says no? So just so that he can be prepared. I love that, Uncle Randy. Good job. From the 636, dear Uncle Randy, what do you think the future holds for the Cardinals and Jack Flaherty? I don't think that it's a long-term future. Now, that could change because Jack Flaherty hasn't been as good as I thought he was going to be yet through no fault of his own, whether it's COVID or injury. I do think that his last two years would have been a lot better had he not had to deal with the COVID season and the injuries last year. But a shortened season this year, he may have a great season in 2023. That's his free agent year. And maybe he'll wind up having that kind of year that Garrett Cole had before he went into free agency. But I get the sense that Flaherty is going to go to the highest bidder. He's going into free agency and he's going to the highest bidder. And I just don't think the Cardinals will be the highest bidder. Do you think he would go to the highest bidder that's not a contender? I think he would go to the highest bidder that's in California. Mm. I don't think necessarily that... uh, I'm not so sure about a contender being a factor. Because I think Jack's athletic ego, which I really like, by the way, Mm -hmm. is that he's going to make them a contender if he's on the team. 
but he is Mamba mentality, wants yep. to win. Yeah. So I think we all assume when we do this exercise in our minds that it's the Dodgers that are going to come mm-hmm. knocking. What if it's the Angels? What if it's a, What if it's not the number one team or a team that we have a lot of faith can put it together and actually go out there and try to win? Remember when... Greg Amsinger told us that he thought the Angels would be affected by Tyler Skaggs' death and the Angels front office being involved with that. Tyler Skaggs was one of Flaherty's best friends. Mm-hmm. I wonder what he thinks of the Angels right now. It's a great point. And what he will think of them down the road with those people that were in the front office, out of the front office. But I would have to think that there's some pretty bad feelings, especially because he knows Tyler Skaggs' family, about what happened with his friend. It's a good point. I just meant from a relevancy standpoint yeah. or a competitive standpoint. That's I why would, I use them as the example. Because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of Albert Pujols, yep. who thought, I'm the best player in baseball. They're giving me all this money. I'm going to go there. Of course I'll win. Of course they'll build mm-hmm. around me. And then that clearly didn't happen. I think because Jack is from there, his mom is there, his brother is there. If he can get to California for the most money, I, I think that that, even if it's the Angels, I would think that that's a pretty strong possibility. I don't think the long-term future, and I might be completely off base here, I don't think the long-term future between the Cardinals and Jack Flaherty is something that I would even be considering right now. So we're telling our buddy, don't propose to Jack Flaherty. He's yeah. going to say no. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah, what if what if they say no? Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. And thank you very much for your text. Do appreciate them on Ask Uncle Randy Wednesday. Coming up next, the Illini getting ready for the Big Ten Tournament, and we're going to help Brad Underwood get ready next on 101 ESPN. To the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Illinois grad Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. The Big Ten Tournament starts tonight in Indianapolis. A couple of games, and the Fighting Illini will have a chance to hone their game and watch some basketball before opening up their action at 10.30 a.m. on Friday. And uh, they'll be playing at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And joining us is the head coach of the Fighting Illini, Brad Underwood. Uh, great season, top seed in the Big Ten, as a matter of fact. Coach, thanks for joining us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me. Well, Coach, congratulations. You get the uh, at least a share of the Big Ten regular season title, the first one since 2005. What did it mean to you to be able to accomplish that? No, it means a lot. Uh, you know, first of all, I mean, for this group, um, you go through a 20 season, uh, 20 game season grind. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's long, it's hard. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it was a season of resilience, toughness. Uh, I thought we showed some character. Uh, it's been a season like I've never been a part of with suspensions, with, uh, COVID, with, uh, concussions. Uh, we only had three guys on our team that suited up every game. Uh, so to accomplish that uh, is pretty rewarding for, for this group and uh, very, very pleased. They stuck, they, they stuck together. They never, uh, they never quit on each other. They never doubted each other. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it means a lot. 
Well, Coach, as you mentioned, there's a lot of obstacles you had to overcome this year. Injuries, Kofi being suspended at the beginning of the season. Even prior to that, some staff turnover. You lost a lot of great players, including Io DeSumo, but that didn't stop your team. And what I think about when I look at Illinois is that you've really built a culture there. And a lot of coaches say that they're going to do that, but it's harder to implement. So when you look at what Illinois is now, is this something that you were constantly building towards? And by that, I mean, do you go out and get players that you think are going to have that edge or that toughness or is it something that you think you can instill in them once they arrive at Illinois no it was done on purpose and and you know I think the one thing that it was it was very intentional I think I'm very much a culture guy uh you know we talk about family a lot we live it like that and uh it's based on relationships but it's also uh you know almost every player that comes into this program early on had success and and was a winner uh, we, we've, we've surrounded ourselves with high character players, uh, guys that want to, the know the importance of winning, uh, winning's really hard. And we talk about that a lot and, um, you know, and, and, you know, we get guys that, that truly want to play for the guy to their right and the guy to their left. And, uh, they do the right things on the court and off the court and, and, you know, it makes it fun and enjoyable. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's a big part of what, what and who we are. Brad Underwood, the head coach of the Fighting Illini, with us on 101 ESPN. By the way, I said uh, Lucas Oil to Gamebridge Fieldhouse in Indy over the course of the week. Coach, how much fun is it for you to coach in a tournament atmosphere where you play a game and then you and your staff get together and you're working for like 20 hours straight to get ready for the next one, whether it's scouting your next opponent or watching games? How much do you look forward to it and how much fun do you have? Well, it is. It's extremely intense uh, because there's very little sleep. Uh, it is a it is a tremendous uh, uh, you know challenge, and then you, all you want your players to do is rest. And uh, you know there's very there's very few changes that take place in a conference tournament. I mean, you are who you are, and uh, you're not going to make a lot of changes. It's the same with your opponent. Uh, you know, some of these opponents will have played, you know, for the third time. Uh, they know us, we know them, but uh, you just try to find that little bit of edge. And it usually comes down to effort. It usually comes down to the intensity with which you play with, the emotion. Um, you know, and everybody's good in this league. So, you know, if you don't bring it one night, you go home. It seems like Kofi is such a rare commodity in college basketball, the, the dominant big man. How much of what he does trickles down to the rest of your team? Well, he is dominant. And, 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 and probably taken for granted. You know, we he has so many double doubles that, you know, we just assume that, you know, that's a that's a given, and it, and it's, it's it's not. It's really really hard to do. And he's the most dominant player in college basketball. Uh, you know, he's there's there's not seven foot, you know, three hundred pound guys uh, on every street corner, and, and yet he's a guy that he's a guy that's so athletic. He can move, um, but uh, you know, Kofi's got a a, a tremendous personality. You know, Kofi never has a bad day. And I don't know if it's growing up in Jamaica and that island life, uh, but he is just happy all the time. And he's fun to coach. He wants to be pushed. Uh, he's very competitive. And then so it makes it, it makes it fun for everybody to be around Kofi. And that's, uh, you know, it's been part of uh, his success is being having a personality that, that allows him to grow and he, and he has fun doing it. 
Coach, I want to highlight another player. Obviously, in the game versus Iowa, it was senior night. And Trent Frazier embodies so much of what I look at as a Brad Underwood type player. But going back to the culture that we talked about, how important has Trent Frazier been to instilling the culture at Illinois? He's been it. He's been, I mean, he's the, the, the reason. And, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't want to exclude DeMonte because he's been a big piece of that, but, but you have to go through the speed bumps. You have to hit, um, all the challenges that come in the process of building a culture. There's no easy way to do it. We live in a microwave society where everybody wants to win now. And if we don't get rid of the players or fire the coach, and that's not the way it's done. And it, and it doesn't work like that. And Trent hung with it. Uh, you know, he came in. He was a he was the really one of our top two players as a freshman. But it didn't come easy. You know, I remember him sitting in on the. We had an exhibition game at Eastern Illinois, and, and we lost in, in our first first go. At, you know, together in a uniform in front of people, and he's questioning himself whether he could even play at this level. And now he's going to dot our record books and in, in, in just about every category. And, and he's going out as a Big Ten champion. And uh, he embodies everything that we're about, uh, that I'm about. Uh, he gets mad at me when I take him out in practice. He's just, he's just I can't say enough about him, but he's, he's been a huge piece of this. Well, Coach, speaking of speed bumps, I know you still have the conference conference tournament that you're looking at, but I want to fast forward to the NCAA tournament. Obviously, last year, number one seed, not the outcome that you hoped for, but what did your team learn last year that can make them more prepared for the tournament this March? Yeah, that's, that's easy. I, you know, I think we, we put such an emphasis on the Big Ten tournament last year. Not that we're not this year, but it was, you know, last year we were 16-4. We won the most games, and we didn't, they didn't give us the title. And that was a challenge. Our guys took that personally. And, um, you know, we were on a mission going into that tournament. And when we got out of the Big Ten tournament, the next day of the, our next day of practice was the worst practice we had all year. We were flat. And what we didn't have, my son Tyler was the only guy in uniform who had been to the NCAA tournament. And we didn't understand the abruptness of the end. And, and, and there's nothing worse uh, in our sport than sitting in the locker room at the NCAA tournament after loss because you realize all of a sudden it's just over. You go from all this, these highs and the joy and the selection show and playing and winning games, and then when it ends, it's, it's like this group's never together again. And we didn't understand that, and I think this year we'll have a better understanding of that. Brad, what was going through your mind on Sunday night when your fans stormed the court after beating Iowa? That's pure joy. You know, <laughs> you, 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 um, to me, it's what college sports is about. It's, 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 it's creating memories for so many people. And, you know, we had a senior luncheon yesterday and, uh, with, with one of our local, um, booster groups and, and, you know, there's four people there and there's, there's people in their fifties and sixties were on the court. This gentleman goes, I'm just crying. He goes, I just am hysterically crying on the court. And, and that was fun to see. And, and, you know, you, to me, it's a, it's a moment that our players will never forget. They get to hang a banner. Uh, those banners are, are honored, you know, 20, 30 years from now, this group's going to be called back to Illinois and they're going to be celebrated for doing something that's really hard to do. And, and, 
we got to share it with a lot of fans, a lot of students, and, and, and that's, pretty, that's pretty doggone fun. And college basketball, man, it's so hard. You're going to face an historic program either way, whether it's Michigan or Indiana, and two programs that are capable of beating anybody on any given night, right? Anybody in this league can beat anybody. You know, and I mean, all you have to do is look at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. You know, they're one in sixteen, and their last three games are on the road, and two of them against you know ranked teams, and they go on the road and win. And yeah, I mean, we get Michigan or Indiana, and 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 both of those teams are are, are tremendous programs. They've got great coaches, they've got really good players, and uh, you know, I think that's top to bottom in this conference. So you go to the tournament, and 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 literally, it's who gets hot who plays the hardest, who's the most confident, and, uh, you know, anybody can win, and it's what makes the Big Ten tournament arguably the best tournament in the country. Speaking of that, Coach, last thing for me, um, Nebraska, Fred Hoiberg, have you sent them a gift basket yet, a little thank you note? <laughs> he's, got a little, he's got a little present that'll, that'll, show up on it, that'll show up on his doorstep. Fred's a, Fred's a, uh, Fred and I are both wine guys, so we enjoy – Sending each other a good bottle of wine when we when we find one that we like, and uh, so uh, you know Fred's got a little little present showing up on his doorstep. Love it. I love that, Coach. I also am a wine person. Tell me a Brad Underwood wine that I can sip on while I'm watching my Illini in the Big Ten tournament. A recommendation, if you will. Well, and I, I get a lot of them from from wine clubs that I'm a part of, but um, you know, there's there's one that uh, I'm going to speak of because it's an Illini owned. Um, winery and uh, they they're tremendous. Rich and Leslie Frank Frank Family Vineyards, and they've got all sorts of different wines. Uh, I've gotten to know Rich Frank. He was a former head of, of Disney forever, and and bought a winery. and And he and his wife are tremendous. So that's a good one that you can enjoy knowing that uh, knowing that they're that they're a line Thanks for the tip, Coach. I'm pulling it up online right now. And, Brad, one last thing. Michelle has said for the entire season, after last year, she said, I'm not going to get emotionally invested. I'm just going to roll with the punches here. She comes in Monday morning and says, I'm a big, fat liar. I am so (laughs) invested in this, and I know the Illini are going to the Final Four. So you've got fans here in St. Louis, and one that is riding the emotional roller coaster with you as your team traverses this tournament in the NCAA tournament. Hey, enjoy it. ILL all the way and uh, wear that orange and blue with pride and, and uh, know that uh, know that we're going to do everything we can to keep you uh, uh, in, a, in very good spirits. I and I, Coach. Thanks for everything. Go get them. Thank you. Good luck. See you later. That is the head coach of the Fighting Illini, Brad Underwood on 101 ESPN. How about that? Not only is Coach a wine guy, but he gives me an Illini-owned vineyard. This is a yeah. dream. That's pretty awesome. That's great. And by the way... Sending some cases to my house now. I I agree with him, and he's the guy's coach. He's going to say this. There is no more dominant player in college basketball this year than Kofi Coburn. Absolutely not. He's number one. And I I don't know who number two is in terms of being able to dominate at both ends of the floor. He's tremendous. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it 
or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, and Matt with you. Michelle, last year at the trade deadline, there were a lot of financial machinations that allowed teams to make moves that they ordinarily wouldn't have been able to make. For example, the Sharks, who had some cap space, got a fifth-round pick from Vegas for helping mitigate the average annual value on Matthias Janmark's going from Chicago to Vegas. The Sharks also got a fourth-round pick from Toronto to help Nick Foligno go from Columbus to Toronto, and the Red Wings got a fourth-round pick from the Lightning for eating a quarter of David Savard's contract as he went from Columbus to Tampa. Yesterday, Ron Francis told The Athletic that he is talking to a lot of teams and is willing to eat salary. Take it or leave it, the Blues get Mark Giordano from Seattle. They eat part of his salary in exchange for a fourth-round pick. So the Blues give up a two and a four for Mark Giordano. <sighs> and the salary. I'm trying to put my Doug Armstrong cap on. Is that a move that I would make if I was Doug Armstrong? It's much more palatable than if it's a one and a two. It is, but I don't know if he'd want to absorb the money as the deal. But he doesn't have to because Seattle's taking care of that. They're eating it. Oh, they're eating it. Yeah, for a draft choice. They're essentially oh, okay. My bad. I'm, they're essentially buying a draft pick. So then, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, and I think the Blues should be willing to sell. And oh, by the way, Logan Brown has 12 games left before a fourth-round choice would have to go to Ottawa for that trade. Logan Brown's not playing 12 more games because if he doesn't play in 30 total, then the Blues don't have to give Ottawa a draft choice. So that's going to be a deal where the Blues just aren't going to play him so they don't have to give up the pick. Now, whether or not they can trade that pick before they know or whether or not they have to give it up, I don't know. But make it a fifth rounder. I, I'm going to take it too. I'm going to say that that's the play for the Blues is they give up picks to get cap space and Giordano from the Kraken. I would take that. I would too. All and by right. the way, Army and Ron Francis are tight. So that helps too. Yeah, but I don't care if, if I'm tight with Doug Armstrong. I'm definitely not picking up the phone when he calls. But you trust him if you're a friend. Yeah, but I know what he's capable of. I'm looking at see, I'm looking at the picks. list of transactions from Doug Armstrong and his history. I'm saying I know you too well. But if you're, you're gonna Francis, swindle, you're going to swindle me but somehow. If, but if you're Francis, you're trading Giordano anyway. Why not trade him to a buddy? It's a fair point. Yeah, fair point. So yesterday, Randy Aaron Rodgers, right after our show, announces that he's signing with the Packers. Reports of a contract were coming out. Pat McAfee was saying, "My sources, air quote, are saying that these these terms aren't correct." So all of us are kind of waiting to see what the actual numbers are for Aaron Rodgers returning to the Packers. It's a huge story, and then boom, Adam Schefter. Breaks it. Russell Wilson traded to the Denver Broncos. Massive transaction. One of the biggest trades in NFL history. Take it or leave it. Aaron Rodgers is really angry that Russell Wilson and the Broncos upstaged his big day. That is 100% take material. Yes, he wants his name out there. He wanted to be all over ESPN today. He wanted Skip Bayless talking about him today. And Russell Wilson's move to the Broncos ruined it. 
it totally ruined it. And and today, every show is leading with Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers returning to the Packers has taken yeah, such a backseat. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But it's good, good for Green Bay and good for him. I think it's the right move for him, mm-hmm. but it's certainly less sexy than a massive blockbuster trade, including one of the uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks in the league. By the way, think about this. Think about how we have a pretty good here, but Wisconsin has three teams. They have Giannis. They have Rodgers. And even though he hasn't performed well, the Brewers did keep Christian Yelich, mm-hmm. who won an MVP. Yeah. So they have MVPs on each of their three teams. That's pretty cool. Life is good if you're living in Wisconsin. Yeah, it and, is. and the Badgers are good. Yeah. You've got cheese curds. You've got a lot of lakes. Is Love that the best stuff. place to be in the country right now? No, Wisconsin? it's too cold. Yeah, it is too cold right now. But a lot of people from Wisconsin just go to Arizona for the winter anyway. And I think if you're from Wisconsin, your DNA's different. You you can absolve the co- the cold. Better. You don't mind being outside. You know, you don't mind being outside. You you know the coldest guy. It's like mm-hmm. Minnesota. Exactly. You know, they're Maybe built ten thousand lakes. Yeah, they're built different up there. Yeah. So, dairy state or ten thousand lakes? I think I'd go dairy. Ice cream. Have you had the cheese curds in Wisconsin? Yes, they're pretty good. You know, outstanding. Culver's started in Wisconsin. They're, I think they're from. It's a family from Wisconsin. Oh, okay, butter. And burger. so they're they're authentic Wisconsin cheese curds when you go to Culver's. I mean, it's delicious. It's a deep fried ball of cheese. What more can you ask Fantastic. for? Fantastic, amazing. Matthew, what do we have on the text line? Take it or leave it. The new AFC West standings are Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers, Raiders, and Denver's making the playoffs. Chiefs, Raiders, Broncos. No, Chiefs, Chiefs, Broncos, Broncos Raiders. Raiders. No, Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers, Chargers Raiders. Raiders. I'm going to take that. Woo. Ooh. I'm going to leave it. Why? Justin because you Herbert. think the, Bron- the Chargers should be higher? I do. That's where I'm getting hung up to. Here's the thing, Michelle. We have to be concerned about the Chiefs now. Go on. They aren't an automatic dominant team anymore. And they're vulnerable. They went through their ebbs and flows this past season. But I looked at the Buffalo Bills Mm -hmm. and the way Josh Allen was playing. And I thought that they were going to win the Super Bowl. If they got past Kansas City, I think they would have won the Super Bowl. And my point is, is even when Patrick Mahomes isn't consistently his best, even when the Chiefs go through the the ups and downs that they did last season, they still are capable of being the Kansas City Chiefs that yeah. pull it out at the last second and beat a team like the Buffalo Bills. They can go toe-to-toe with anyone at any time. Beware of the Chargers, though. They re-signed Mike Williams yesterday. They've got Justin Herbert. They've got a good offensive line, a really bright offensive mind. How can he not be? His name is Lombardi. He's Vince Lombardi's grandson. Joe Lombardi is their offensive coordinator. Brandon Staley is a terrific defensive mind. I'm going to say the Chargers win that division. More than you, you trust the Chargers more than the Broncos with Russ there. The Broncos are going to finish second in that division. I mean, the Chiefs are third. Yes. Whoa. How about that? Write this down, Matt. And then once there's an ankle injury suffered by Derek Carr, we'll get a load of what Josh McDaniels is capable of. Uh, deep shots to Brandon Lloyd. Nope. Yeah, there okay. you go. Uh, <laughs> Unless you get down to the one yard line, then you just run a bootleg. No, deep shot to Brandon Lloyd. Poor Sam uh, Bradford. He never had a chance. No. It's National Crab Meat Day. Take Ooh. it or leave it. The only exciting thing about going to a Baltimore Orioles game is the crab cakes. I'll take that. No, 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 no. I got to leave that. Boog Pals Barbecue out in right field. Delicious. I've Unbelievable. Never been, I've never been to Camden. Oh, it's great. So I can't really participate, but I'll take it, Crab though. cake fan, though? Lo- I was just going to say, cakes. love a crab cake. So I'll take it because I think the crab cake would be more exciting than the on-field product. I make a seafood pasta with crab involved. A and, tutamare, Randy? Yeah, you have to. 
Yeah, it's it's fantastic. You have to love it. Oh, are the bosses walking by they the hallway? Are. Randy's waving at our bosses yeah. that are in uh, Well, um, our, our boss here, John Kioski and Maggie Tozlowski, they just they love our setup outside. Oh, okay, love it. I thought it was the big bosses. If, if you weren't with us earlier, we have pictures of the big bosses and a sign welcoming them to St. Louis from Carriker and Smallman. We're talking the, the big, big bosses, not just right. in St. No, Louis, it's, nationally. It's perfect. The big, big bosses are coming in right when Randy's going to be hanging out in the hall. We've, we've got the bosses that can call up John Kioski and say, get rid of that character guy now, and he does. <laughs> Hence the pictures. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Next up, Aaron Rodgers is staying, but is he really getting $200 million over four? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We were shocked yesterday right after the show when word came down that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers have agreed to a reported four-year, $200 million contract extension. And then within an hour, we got the stunning tweet that the Seattle Seahawks had traded Russell Wilson to Denver, along with a fourth-round choice in exchange for two first-rounders, two second-rounders, a fifth-rounder, former Mizzou quarterback Drew defensive lineman Shelby Harris, and tight end Noah Fant. Here's ESPN's Adam Schefter. The Denver Broncos and Seattle Seahawks reached agreement on a trade that will send nine-time Pro Bowl quarterback Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos in a massive package of picks and players that will go back to Seattle in exchange for Russell Wilson. Now, some people might say, well, is this having to do with Aaron Rodgers? The Broncos moved on from him? No. The Broncos and Seahawks have been in talks for a couple of weeks now. The Broncos general manager, George Payton, initiated the talks, and they are resulting in a deal, an agreement with the Seattle Seahawks in which Russell Wilson has to waive his no-trade clause, which he's expected to do, and which he must pass a physical, which obviously he is expected to do. And obviously that will all happen. Russell then would become the quarterback of the Denver Broncos, but there's an agreement in place between both sides that would send Russell Wilson to Denver in one of the biggest NFL trades in NFL history, an enormous package of players and picks going back to Seattle. Now, Denver's in the process of notifying some of these players about who are going in exchange to Seattle for Russell Wilson. But Wilson is expected to waive his no-trade clause in return to go to Denver to become the next quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Now, Nathaniel Hackett is the new head coach of the Broncos. He coached Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay. But, Michelle, during the season next year, or this coming season, 2022, Aaron Rodgers will turn 39, and Russell Wilson will turn 34. If I am the Broncos, I'm much more inclined to give up a huge package for a guy who's going to be with me, I hope, for three or four or five years, rather than a guy who has a chance to be with me for only one or two. Absolutely. Not to mention, 
the Packers have had stability at the quarterback position with Aaron Rodgers. They've had a lot of success. The Broncos have had a turnstile of misses since Peyton Manning came in, and he wasn't even the reason that they won that Super Bowl. The defense was. But since the Peyton Manning era, I mean, they have had Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. We love Drew Locke as a guy, but he hasn't necessarily worked mm-hmm. out there. Uh, Joe Flacco was there for a second. This has been such a point of contention for the Broncos that they've had talent elsewhere on their team, but they just could not get the quarterback position right. And if you know that a guy is out there that is going to be the solution to this problem, and you know it's a proven guy like Russell Wilson, a Super Bowl winning guy like Russell Wilson, that's also a culture guy. He's going to come in and set a certain set of standards. It's a no-brainer to me. Russell Wilson used to be a guy in Seattle that made his offensive line look better and be better than they really were because of his movement in the pocket. And that's something that Nathaniel Hackett preached to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers this past season had games where he had none of his projected starting offensive linemen playing, yet he didn't take sacks or took very few because he was able to to get out of the pocket. Nathaniel Hackett coaches that for Russell Wilson, and Russ still has that great deep ball. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a coin flip move, except for the age. I really think that Russell Wilson, heck, they both have a Super Bowl win. I, I think Russell Wilson with the Broncos can be as good as Aaron Rodgers would have next year. And for a longer term, he can be better than Aaron Rodgers. I, I agree with that. and But I was surprised, though, with Nathan, the Nathaniel Hackett connection. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Nathaniel Hackett connection, as my voice goes mm-hmm. out on me, and the fact that Aaron Rodgers has been connected to the Broncos for so long that that wasn't even really a consideration for them. That, according to these reports, Russ was the one that they had been targeting because it just seemed like all the stars were aligning for Aaron Aaron Rodgers to be the one to go to Denver. And maybe other teams feel the same way about Aaron Rodgers that we as the public and media and fans appear to feel about him. Because, according to Brian Gutekunst, last week at the Combine, Packers never received a call about Aaron Rodgers. And maybe people are kind of rolling their eyes in. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, Randy, if teams are calling about Deshaun Watson, I think that they'll take on Aaron Rodgers. I think there's, but he's 39. I th- he's going Still to be, the MVP. He's, he's the MVP. He's going to be 39. But we saw what happened to Peyton Manning when he turned 39. As good as anybody that ever played the game. The only guy that's ever really played well beyond 39 is Tom Brady. And he had... Alex Guerrero on his side. That's right. Oh, Randy's waving out in the hall. Is it the big, big bosses? Yeah, taking care of my oh, big bosses. Let's, let's wave at them. Let's wave. Sorry, <laughs> everyone, are. for the interruption. Cor- corporate's in town today. Yeah. One thing quickly, Randy, I really respect the Broncos for going for it, and I really respect Russell Wilson for wanting to go into a division that he knows is going to be a grind. Because if you are the Broncos, you look around your own division, and you're, you're seeing the likes of Justin Herbert and Derek Carr, oh, and the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. It would be easy to go into a rebuild or to not really put your foot on the gas. The fact that they're going out and they're mortgaging your, their future to get someone like Russell Wilson and really go for it in a stacked division, I think says a lot about them. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers does stay in Green Bay. He tweets that the numbers that were reported were wrong, but he's, he tweeted, I am going to Green Bay. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Certainly it was a, a eventful couple of years of the drafting of Jordan Love in the first round, you know, um, and so Rodgers wanted to know that uh, not only would he be secure long-term in Green Bay, but would he have a good relationship with the front office? Mm. Uh, he was surprised by the Jordan Love pick. And, you know, from all that I was told, the Packers were all in from last offseason on not only bringing him back and uh, pumping confidence in him that he's their guy moving forward as an MVP, but that they wanted to foster a good relationship. You know, they really worked at keeping him informed, um, making him feel like he's part of the process, 
you know, considering him and their moves, and they've shown that over the last six months, and I'm, I'm told that's gone a long way with Rodgers. So whatever happens over the next week with his contract and with the team, you know, they, they feel like they try to maximize their efforts uh, to make sure they were in a really good place with Rodgers. And they must have done, obviously, a great job in doing that because what a difference a year makes. Mm-hmm. All of the, the news and the rumors, the streets, Randy, were saying Aaron Rodgers had such a fractured relationship. He was he was flying to Hawaii, not report, not answering anyone's phone calls. He was angry at Brian Gutekunst. He, he didn't like the Jordan Love pick. He, back to the Mike McCarthy time when he wasn't necessarily happy with that. It seemed like all signs were pointing to Aaron Rodgers was not going to be happy with anything that happened in Green Bay, and he just wanted to get out. So the fact that this year they really poured into him and they really made it a point of contention to let him know how appreciated he was and to give him what he wants from a relational standpoint and from a power standpoint, they did their job because they retained the MVP. If you're the Packers, do you keep Jordan Love around? Now, what's the point? Yeah, I don't think there is a good point now. I'm, I'm with you. Move on and let somebody else try to develop the guy. Maybe Denver. And when you think about Aaron Rodgers, who has the memory of an elephant, this mm-hmm. guy holds a grudge forever, maybe an all-time grudge holder. He clearly did not like that pick, even though he's said that he and Jordan Love have a, a good relationship. He mentioned him in his fake goodbye or whatever the, mm-hmm. the reflective Instagram post was after the cleanse, I should say. It wasn't a fake goodbye, obviously. But when you think back to that moment, he won. He he. Yeah. They were looking at drafting his replacement. He goes out and threatens to leave. He goes out there and performs at the highest possible level, shows that he's still elite. And what does he do? He gets this massive deal, and Jordan Love is likely going to get shipped out. Yeah. You know what this tells me? If I'm Aaron Rodgers, if I'm Tom Brady, if I'm an organization that has a franchise quarterback that's a franchise-altering guy, I'm not going to make him mad. No. Or maybe I should make him mad because he'll perform at a high level. But I just know that that guy is always going to win. We've learned our lesson, whether it's the Broncos drafting Tommy Maddox as an eventual replacement for John Elway. They got a coach fired. And you, you see it all the time. You see the 49ers bringing in Steve Young to ultimately replace Joe Montana. That did not end well. Yeah, if you have that franchise guy, just doesn't make sense to get him upset. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to Bernie Federico about this Blues four-game losing streak on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We are talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we have the fight. We're looking for a fighter. All you need to do is text in the word fight to 65780. Maybe Matthew will pick you at random, and you can fight me today here on 101 ESPN. Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, where Hall of Famer Bernie Federico is standing by, of course, on the pregame between periods and postgame for Valley Sports. Bernie, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing fine. Are you concerned about a four-game losing streak at this time of year? No. No, no, not not at all. I mean, this is a team that uh, I think is a little fatigued right now. We always talk about this time of the year, Randy. This is the the difficult time between. Usually, it's well, the, the schedule started a little later uh, this year than than normally. But uh, this is the time of the year, you know, through it's usually February, early March, where 
you kind of have a hard time getting uh, motivated to play the game. You're tired, you're a lot of travel, and uh, you know you can't see really the end of the season yet. Uh, uh, but once the trade di- deadline comes, which is only what less than two weeks away now, I think that everything starts. You start seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel. You start getting prepared for the playoffs, and then I think it's easier to just to you know get yourself motivated to play. So I think that you know it's not just the Blues going through this. There's a lot of teams at this time of the year that go through this. Bernie, I checked last night just to make sure that I was correct, and I was. It was March 9th through 17th of 2019, after the Blues had been so hot and had the 11-game winning streak, they lost four out of five, including losses to Arizona, Ottawa, and Buffalo. That was the Stanley Cup champs that lost four out of five that year. So I'm with you. The Blues know what their game is. They just have to get back to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that it, last night, I mean, New Jersey. If you look at those two games, I mean, the Blues were chasing the game. I mean, the, the Blues can skate with anybody. There's no question about it. That their uh, style of play, they can, they can skate. They can, you know, they're certainly good. In the, you know, in the forecheck, they, they get that heavy game going in the offensive zone and cycle the puck uh, down down low and and really grind and, and wear teams down. And and I think we saw the, a lot of chasing in the last couple of games. And I, I think that really is just. The, the fact that the schedule has been tough. I mean, playing eight of the last nine on the road, really basically gone for, 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 the, for the most part of the last three weeks. So I think it's been tough on them mentally, and, and I think it showed in their, in their game the last couple of games. But um, there's no question. We've talked about this team. They've got plenty of depth. They've got four lines that can score. Uh, you know, they're very capable goaltending. Their defense has been solid. So, so I, I'm not concerned in the least bit. You're right, Bernie. It has been a tough stretch from a scheduling standpoint, but the competition is about to really pick up when you have the Rangers coming into town. We saw that battle that the Blues had with them about a week ago. Then you have Nashville, Winnipeg. There's some tough opponents coming up for the Blues. So with the fatigue that you're talking about, the dog days of hockey, hopefully they can mentally find that that next gear and turn it on because the opposition, the competition that's coming isn't really going to let them sit back. Yeah, I think that really kind of helps with no Michelle too. You know, if you're playing against the uh, Arizonas and New Jerseys and Ottawa's like the Blues did last night, I think you take for granted that uh, all you have to do is you know throw your sticks on the ice and you're probably going to win the game. So uh, when you're playing against the, the tougher competition, I think you know that if you don't play and show up, you're going to get embarrassed. So uh, the fact of the matter is, yes, I mean, uh, really the next six games that I see are all going to be tough games. And I think that they really rise to the occasion when they're playing against uh, the tougher teams. And uh, I think that that's no different when a lot of the teams in the league is that, you know, you you play up to the competition. A lot of times you play down to the competition. And, and I think that the fact that these teams are, are much better teams, I think that'll get the Blues, you know, a lot more prepared and, and real mentally, especially uh, to know that they're going to have tough games. And I think they'll be much more prepared. Bernie, when you were playing, Obviously, you had that rivalry with the Blackhawks, so you were up for every one of those games. But is every division game a game that you kind of have a different edge? Yeah, you do, Randy. I mean, uh, you know, they're all four point games. I mean, we keep talking about four games, you know, mm-hmm. point games. You're going to be two behind, or or you're going to be, you know, you can be four behind, or you're going to be even with them. I mean, if you're trailing at that time, so um, you know what with, with that, and, and and you know what, it's kind of changing a little bit now because. I mean, even with the the schedule now, I mean, the divisional games, you only play them four times a year, which I I think is kind of crazy. I think it should be more. If you're going to be in a division, at least make it more than even Colorado and Minnesota, you're only playing three times like you are against the the Western Conference. Right. So, I mean, I I think that they really need to, to make this schedule a little different so that you, you, you know, with the divisional games, there are more of them, then, then they'll start meaning more. Uh, but they do mean because, I mean, the top three teams in each division, 
are in the playoffs and then in this wild card from then on. So uh, they are important. But I'd like to see even more, you know, uh, uh, divisional games like I did in our day. I mean, we used to play, you know, our division a lot of times eight times in a year. And you really, that's where you get that more of a rivalry. And I think the fans enjoy that rivalry even more. Bernie, ESPN.com did a piece where they were talking about each team's MVP during the month of February, and they selected Justin Falk for the Blues and indicated that we're not really making a big enough deal about the great season that Justin Falk has been having. Do you agree with the fact that he's been the MVP of the team lately? And if not Justin Falk, who has been? I think that he may have been for the entire season so far, to be honest with you, Michelle. I think he's been the most consistent player. I mean, Jordan Cairo has been great you know, offensively, but I think if you if you look at one player that on a consistent basis that has been there every night. I mean, uh, Justin was really good last night, too. I mean, he finishes his checks. He made a couple of real good defensive plays. I mean, he's jumping up with the play. I mean, he's a plus 35 on the season when he's top five players in the league right now on the plus minus. So I can't say enough about him. So, I mean, I, I'm glad that, you know, a lot of times you, you don't get noticed as much because you're not really on the, on the big offensive side of things. And, and I think that uh, that uh, Justin, the way he has played has been absolutely outstanding. And I would agree that he has been, you know, certainly if you want to just call month of February, I, I think for the most part, he's been the most consistent player for the Blues all, all season long so far. Hey, Bernie, you came here in 1976. So a lot of fathers right now have sons or grandsons that are playing hockey. And you were the first Hall of Famer that the Blues drafted and got into the Hall of Fame. And I really do think that a lot of the reason that we have great hockey players coming out of St. Louis is because of people like Bernie Federico and Perry Turnbull and Brian Sutter and and Mike Liute. So when you see a Brady Kachuk come into town, when you see these St. Louis born and bred kids that are in the NHL come into town and play, how much pride do you take in that? Well, I think just as an alumni, uh, Randy, you know, yeah, we, I think we've all been responsible for that. I mean, I, I think that when you look at the alumni that we have in town, uh, we've got like over 50 guys that have stayed in town. And this goes back for years. I mean, starting with, you know, Barkley and Bobby, uh, you know, Red, Berenson. I mean, these guys stayed in town and, and they were a big part of the community. I mean, Bruce Affleck is here. I mean, all these guys. And, um, you know, we all have kids. And uh, when you have kids, you start, uh, you know, helping them with the coaching you're taking them to the rink. Yeah, a lot of times when we're playing, we didn't have enough time uh, because we were traveling and playing all the time. But, uh, you know, after you retire, you stay here, you get involved with your kids coaching, and then, uh, you know, you help out the other play, you know, parents that are that have not had kids there that played the game, really, and, and it keeps spreading. So, uh, you know, I think we feel very proud that we've been able to be a part of that, and uh, I think it's been absolutely great. You know, my kids all played hockey in town, and now to see – all these young kids uh, uh, now, you know, and they're not just uh, making the NHL. I mean, and they're becoming stars. Mm-hmm. You know, Brady and Matthew are, are great players. I mean, uh, you're seeing what's happened with all these kids that, that are, are getting an opportunity in, in the NHL. And it's not that they're just the, you know, everyday player that's going to be a fourth liner. These kids are, are, are you know, our top line players. And yeah, as, as alumni, I think we all feel very proud that, uh, you know, we were part of the grassroots of, of hockey here in town. And one last thing, you see Brady, 6'4", 212. You see the way he hits. You see the way he gets back on the back check. You see the, the skill that he has around the net, that he goes to the net. Brady could wind up being the best of all of these guys. Well, you know what? They're all good players. I mean, mm-hmm. They're all a little different. I mean, I think Brady's got the most size, though. I mean, I mean, he's. Uh, I even said it last night. He's a beast out there. I mean, uh, you just can't check him when he wants to get going. I mean, he's very difficult to handle. And uh, I think he's he, the one thing that 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 you know both Brady and Matthew do 
is they do the same thing that Big Walt did. You go to the front of the net. I mean, you score goals by going to the front of the net. That's why Walt scored over 500 goals. And uh, both the kids uh, uh, get involved physically. They, they're not afraid to stand in front of the net. You don't always have to drop your gloves and, and do that. And in the game now, you very rarely have to do that. But, uh, you know, you're hard to handle when you're that size. And, and when you're willing, you know, to, to pay the price to score goals and go to the front of the net. So, yeah, I really like the way Brady played last night. I mean, he'd be not only you know, scored a big goal, but he, I mean, he had three or four good chances. And as you said, he back-checked, four-checked. Uh, he was, uh, uh, you know, full of, of life last night, and, and it really showed on the ice. Bernie Federico, always great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. You do, too. See you later. That's the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico on 101 ESPN. Great to have him with us. Coming up next, we've got The Fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's Karakar Smallman here on 101 ESPN, and it's time for the fight. Let's welcome in Randy's competition this morning. It's Evan. Good morning, Evan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Evan, you sound like you are great. You sound like you're in a really good mood this morning. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. I just started work not too long ago, but I've been trying to get on the fight for a long time, so I'm excited. Oh, so today was the lucky day, huh? Absolutely. Okay. Well, good luck to you, and let's jump right in. Question number one. What Packers player has caught the most touchdown passes from Aaron Rodgers? Is it Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, or Devontae Adams? Ooh, I'm going to go Devontae. What college did Russell Wilson start his NCAA football career? Is it Wisconsin, North Carolina State, or Virginia? Uh, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. <clears throat> Question number three for Evan. Former Cardinals outfielder Juan Encarnacion won two World Series rings in his career. Once with the 06 World Series Cardinals, another with this National League franchise. Is it the Florida Marlins, the Philadelphia Phillies, or the Arizona Diamondbacks? I want to say the Marlins. And on this day in 1971, Muhammad Ali's 31-fight winning streak was ended after a 15-round unanimous decision victory by this fighter. Was it Sonny Liston? George Foreman or Joe Frazier? Uh, Joe Frazier. Okay, checking our score. Confirmed. Waving in Randy, who's fully dressed up today because corporate is in town. And um, I tweeted a photo of Randy if you want to see him dressed up on uh, my Twitter feed, at Emma Smallman. Randy's got the white button-down going. He's got, what is this, Randy Felt? It's a I nice mean, pattern button-down, too. I what's like the this, pattern of the What's this material? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's camel hair. It looks very soft is what I'm it getting is, yeah. at. It doesn't look like a traditional suit jacket. It's camel hair? Yeah, I didn't mean that in, yeah. a, di- in a dissing way. I just meant it was a different fabric. But uh, Randy also put up big signs for our corporate leaders outside of our studio. Again, I've tweeted it. If you want to see Randy kissing up to the boss, so I don't know if they're listening, but our uh, CEO, Ginny Morris, was named the sixth most powerful person in radio wow. by Talkers Magazine or something like that. So 
I changed the number on her picture. So rather than six, it says one. Nice, Randy. Good move. And what does the sign say? Our, this, uh, our sign up there says, Carriker and Smallman welcome the world's greatest radio executives. <laughs> With their photos underneath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, Randy. Thank you for taking care of all of us. Yeah. Uh, we're also, Randy, say good morning to Evan. Hey, Evan. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening and thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Thank you. Evan has been trying to get into the fight for a long time. Today oh. was his lucky day. Glad you're here. Thank you. And he did well, Randy. I got to tell you, did okay. well. All right. Are you ready? You ready. What Packers player has caught the most touchdown passes from Aaron Rodgers? I can't imagine that it would be anybody other than Devontae because Driver wasn't around that long with Rodgers. Uh, I think James Jones might have played with him but didn't have that many. I'm going to go Devontae Adams and I'm going to say it's by a pretty wide margin. What college did Russell Wilson start his NCAA football career? He was a Wolfpack at North Carolina State before moving to Wisconsin. Former Cardinals outfielder Juan Encarnacion won two World Series rings in his career. Once with the 06 World Series champion St. Louis Cardinals. The other with what National League franchise? I'm going to go 03 Marlins. And on this day in 1971, Muhammad Ali's 31-fight winning streak was ended after a 15-round unanimous decision victory by this fighter. 1971. I think the first guy that got him was Frazier. I'll do the lifeline just in case. But I'm, I, I, I know Joe Frazier's going to be on the list, but I'll just take the other two just in case. Sonny Liston, George Foreman, or Joe Frazier? Yeah, I'm going to go... I'm going to go Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier, huh? Final yeah. answer? Down goes Frazier. All right. Evan has been trying to get into the fight for a long time. He did really well. Did he do Was he? Did he do well enough is the question. Matt, let him know. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. And still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. Evan, you did great. You got three correct, but corporate was in town. You knew that Randy was bringing in his A++ game. He got all four correct. He got the jack. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's all good. I was a little worried about that second question. That's the That was the one, Evan. That was the one. But thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks. You guys, too. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> Club horns, always a good time. Oh, you want that? Doesn't that just make you want to shake up a bottle of champagne or something? Yeah. Earthland Fire is my favorite. There you go. Get some bottle service here in the office. Well, that would be great. We're getting coffee. Well, I don't we know. Are. I don't know. You wouldn't want me to be drinking and be on the radio. Come on. This would be entertaining. We want an entertaining program. It might be entertaining, but I would definitely get fired. So Devontae Adams is the Packers player that has caught the most touchdown passes from Aaron Rodgers with 68. Is it close? It is. He actually just recently passed Jordy Nelson, who caught 65 oh, from good. Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. North Carolina State is where Russell Wilson started his NCAA football career before going to Wisconsin. Juan Encarnacion won two World Series, one with the 06 Cardinals, the other with the Florida Marlins in 2003, as Randy mentioned. And on this day in 1971, Muhammad Ali's 31-fight winning streak was ended after 15 rounds and a unanimous decision by Joe Frazier. And by the way, all of that was brought back to me, not by a book or a documentary about Muhammad Ali, but because of a book about Howard Cosell. 
Really? Howard Cosell was joined at the hip with Muhammad Ali. There's a great book about Howard Cosell, and if you get a chance to read it, it's very interesting and gives you a lot of behind-the-curtain stuff about Cosell and Ali. It was really good. I will have to look that up. That sounds awesome. All right. Thank you to Evan. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, baseball owners and players are set to meet again this morning. Should baseball players be ready to accept an offer? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sixteen hours of meetings yesterday between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. And when you look at where the players started and where the owners started and where they appear to be right now, it seems like, Michelle, financially, they're coming closer together. They've essentially agreed on a minimum salary. And the current owner's offer starts the minimum salary for rookies at $700,000. It goes up by $15,000 a year for the first three years and then goes from seven fifty dollars to $770,000 in the last two years of the deal. The initial player's request for a competitive balance tax was $230 million to start, ending at $245 million. Right now, the owners are starting at $230 million, same sp- start that the players were asking for on February 17th, and the owners are ending at two forty two. but they want an extra tax put on a fourth tier, as it were, and it's being referred to as the Steve Cohen tax, where if you go beyond $260 million in overall salary for your team, you have to pay a further tax. And we don't have details on what what that further tax would be. There seems to be some pushback on that. They're getting closer on the pre-arbitration bonus pool. Successful young players would split between 40 and 115 million dollars so that's a pretty substantial gap that they have but Derek Gould re, uh, replied to a tweet from Andy Martino of SMY and Andy Martino tweeted Early this morning, significant gaps remain between the sides per source and Derek responded, do not downplay the international draft. Owners have requested an international draft. Right now, players that are in the Dominican or that are in Colombia or that are in... uh Asia, they they don't get drafted. They're free agents, like when the Cardinals signed KK, as an example, or uh, Sun Wan Oh. They want those players to be eligible for the draft. Major League Baseball does. Mm -hmm. The players don't. They want those players to remain free agents. The owners are offering no qualifying offer for their own free agent six-year players in exchange for the international draft. And Derek's suggesting that the players are so against an international draft that they probably would think that that's a bigger issue than the qualifying offer issue, is, which is what the owners are offering to trade it for. Because it's financially more beneficial for them to be considered a free agent rather than go to the draft? You would think so, but every team has a limit to what they can spend. They have an international pool that they can spend right now. And I don't know that the number is going to be that significant because usually what teams do is they'll give big money to their top one or two international guys. Then the rest of them are getting like 150000 a 100000 So, again, it seems like this is something that affects very few players in the big scheme of things. If you want, again, to get young players more money, obviously you'd have a smaller pool of players Mm -hmm. because your draft is condensed. 
But it seems to me like if you want to get young players more money, that you would get everybody involved in the draft. Which is why I guess I would be surprised that it would be such a sticking point. I understand the the Steve Cohen tier because I'm sure a lot of owners are afraid of someone like Steve Cohen because they know that if there aren't restraints on him from a salary standpoint, he's just going to spend, spend, spend. That's what he's going to do. He has the resources to do it, and clearly he's motivated to do it and go out there and win. I understand the arguments about, about salary, but... It just seems like this point, Randy, that all of this is blending together and, and starts to sound like white noise to me. It kind of is. I I'm agree. I'm just so over it. I, do, I honestly couldn't care less about any of the intricacies or the details anymore because guess what happened? They're talking about this yesterday. There was a deal announced that Apple TV is going to have Friday Night Baseball. There's, there's quote, news coming out about baseball. And guess what happens? Two massive deals happened yesterday in the NFL, and no one cares about baseball. I bet we're the only one of, if not the only, radio show in America today talking about baseball. Right, because of the fact that we're in a baseball town. And the reason I'm talking about it is because it appears they're very close. I don't see, if you're the players, why you would turn down this current offer. If you really, truly want to play, mm-hmm. how much do you care about that 16-year-old in Nicaragua? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about 16-year-olds in Nicaragua, and we're talking about Juan Soto. That's essentially what we're talking about with this. Is that going to be enough for them to turn this down? Right. That would be my question. If I'm a player, and I have a... Now, most of the players, uh, 60% of the players are making the minimum. I have to believe that that 60% probably would say, come on, let's go play. Right. Sure. I don't, I don't care about the kid in Nicaragua, and I don't care about Juan Soto. I care about me. Right. Nobody loves me like I love me. So if I'm going to those guys, I'm, I'm saying I want to play. But here's the thing. Most of those players that are on that executive committee are Scott Boris clients. And Scott Boris has Juan Soto. And Scott Boris is a guy that represents a lot of young players. He's driving the bus here. And if there's anybody to blame, you can blame owners, you can blame players. If you want to blame somebody for baseball not being played right now, blame Scott Boris. Which is kind of wild to think that he would wield that much power and that Mm -hmm. much influence. It's remarkable how much power and influence he wields in baseball. So is he, it's amazing. is he essentially the shadow commissioner then? You know how we always talk about Jerry Jones being the shadow commissioner in the NFL, and by that we mean that he has the most power to influence the way that things mm-hmm. are done? Is that Scott Boris in baseball? I think he's got a different kind of power because he doesn't, even though he doesn't influence all the owners like Jerry Jones does, but he influences enough so that he can influence the sport. But every single other agent and the union are completely influenced by him. And has he made baseball better? Because we look at Jerry Jones and he certainly made some power plays and the NFL is more, more powerful than ever. And I would, I would say some people might like the style of the NFL, the, the mm-hmm. tougher style of the NFL back in the day, but it's never been more entertaining. I mean, we're all locked right. into the product. Has what Scott Boris has done with baseball, has it made baseball a better product? Well, the reason, the prime, I would suggest the primary reason that Bill DeWitt Jr. started the analytics movement and hired Jeff Luno in 2003, because he told Jeff Luno, I want you to be able to put a definitive value on every single player so that this is the price tag on this player, and we don't negotiate off of that. We have what's what's the we we have the iPhone, okay? The iPhone is, has a price, mm-hmm. and it's not going to change. That's what we want. We want a price on that player that is non-negotiable for us, 
And every team now has analytics because Scott Boris, the year before, got Tom Hicks, the owner of the Rangers, into a room when the biggest offer for Alex Rodriguez was $126 million and came out of that room with a $252 million deal. Twice what the other team, the Braves, were offering. So now, rather than being able to get an owner into a room and saying, hey, you're going to be able to build real estate, you're going to be able to have promotions, you're going to have this player, and he's going to make you so much money, now you have an exact number of what that player is worth. So I would suggest that Scott Boris fundamentally is the reason for analytics. Which has made baseball a less entertaining product. Yep. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and that is... Our little MLB look coming up. David Perron, Blues Winger, joins us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Perron, he tucked it in like you put the corner of his seat underneath your mattress in the morning. Blues forward David Perron, and he joins Character and Smallman. Right now, Ronnie scores on 101 ESPN. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. And David Braun is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Michelle. How's it going? Everything's good. Okay, I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me this is true or false. The Blues know what their game is, and right now, on March 9th, they just aren't playing that game, but they're more than capable of doing so. <laughs> That's a long question to just answer, uh, true or false. <laughs> um, I think the the real answer, there's a little bit of both right now. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, it, it's challenging time, but it's uh, it's good that we go through this. Like you have as a player, you have to enjoy the struggle at times too. And I know that I certainly have uh, been going through that uh, maybe in January a little bit. All that stuff. I had COVID, wasn't performing the way I wanted. Uh, my my role had changed a little bit, a little bit less ice times in certain situations finding my confidence, finding myself. and But through this, like you have to go to a rank. You have to love working hard. You have to, to almost enjoy that part, too. And, I mean, talking to my parents, talking to, to my wife, all that, that's things that I mentioned to them. I, I, I love it every single day going to the rank. I love it right now as I'm driving uh, to our practice rank. Um, I, I love thinking about the solutions uh, that we need to find, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, my biggest thing is I'm not worried about you guys. <laughs> Who are you worried about? I, I I think you're going to be fine. I, I'm I'm really not worried about anybody I, I, because yeah. I really I, I have faith in you guys getting back to what you are, and I know you can be. Yeah, well, I, I think if the answer is definitely within the room. I think that's that's where it comes down to. I think the coaches are doing a great job to bring the points that we need to to do every single night to have success and. Um, I, I think that people, a lot of people see that our makeup of our team is, is different than years past. I talked about it. The Blues that are a heavy team, four checking, four lines, all that stuff. I don't know if the makeup of our team is like that this year. And I, and we have to certainly get get back to that a little bit more and do that more. understand uh, turnovers at blue lines are, are costing uh, and they will happen regardless of if you try to do them or not, but I think at times they're happening too much right now where 
we're trying to find those those plays that aren't necessarily there, and it's it's hurting us, and uh, it just magnifies the the normal mistakes that will happen even more too. So. Um, I, I think the answers are definitely in the room. I, I think everyone uh, is working hard. That's not an issue at all. I think everyone's trusting uh, the process and all that. But uh, I, I think we just got to bear down and, and get a couple wins, and uh, maybe things will just start turn to turn back in the right place. Well, David, with all that being said, what was the message in the dressing room after the game last night? If, if you guys know that you're going through a bit of a an adverse time right now, what's the message that your team yeah. was left with after the game last night? Yeah, uh, it was that. It was that the answer's in the room and we're going to find it and we're going to work at it until we do find it. And there's no looking looking around, no looking for someone to come in or whatever it is. Like, yeah, like, again, I'll mention it again, the makeup is a little bit different, but there's a, a way we have to play in, in this time of the year to have success and, and we have to, to do that. And I honestly think we also got away with it at, for, for some time of the year playing uh, at time uh, we would do some mistakes but we would kind of outscore our mistakes and uh, like the good old Kenneth Cook would always say you can only that so, do that so long and when you start losing your game a little bit it just doesn't turn around like that you have to start building it the right way again and I'm a firm believer of that and I know that Chief is too I know the organization is and um, again, uh, we're, we're going to go today, work, work hard, uh, watch the video, do, our, do what we got to do, get ready for tomorrow, and, and uh, look forward to, to the game. David, take us into what it's like right now during the dog days of the schedule. I know you guys just came back from a long road trip. You had mentioned to us uh, last week that your family was there, yeah. which is nice. But at this point in the season, is, is there any fatigue that sets in? Take us through physically and mentally what it's like for you guys at this point in the season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, again, it's the first 82 game calendar in three years. I talked about it the last couple of weeks with you guys, and it's still the case. It's the case uh, for a lot of the, those guys. It's their first full calendar they've ever played in the NHL with the real travel, real everything. Yes, guys are probably getting run down a little bit, but hey, that's that's how it goes. And uh, again, it's it's one of the parts you have to love and and find a way to enjoy and get your rest when you can. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, so I was sick over the weekend. I wasn't the only guy that, that kind of went through that, through that. It's just the timing of it was just a little bit different for me. It was in the middle of, of everything, uh, getting the stomach flu or the game. I, I just wouldn't have the energy to play and the other guys, uh, maybe got it the, the, the night after. So they were able to, to rest one day and play the next day, like I did in, in New Jersey, but there's all kinds of things happening. And, um, again, we're, we're going to find a way out of it. Also, the trade deadline, David, is right around the corner. Is that something yeah. that can hang over a team? Is that something that you guys discuss in the dressing room or that you even pay attention to? Um, I mean, certainly, like, as you get older, the situation, uh, contract-wise, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about it for sure a little bit. But I think that when you go for a cup and teams are n- normally looking for guys with experience that that uh, that have won, and I think we're one of the teams that can do it, so... Um, I, I definitely think that uh, our, our ownership has uh, faith in us, and uh, I think that hopefully we're going to go for it again. But uh, I think definitely the answers are in the room, so it's not like we're looking outside. Oh, let's go get this type of person or whatever it is. Like I, anyway, for me, I'm not thinking about it too much in that regard. So 
Um, I haven't heard many anybody talk about it yet, but we we definitely know it's on the radar. It's coming, I think, in 10, 12 days, and uh, that's how it's going to be. David Perron with us on 101 ESPN. You had quite a five minutes in that first period. I want to start with your penalty. When you take a tripping penalty like you did last night, how do you react? Is it frustration? Are you mad at yourself? What's, what's your emotion when that happens? Uh, no, I wasn't necessarily mad at the penalty. I was mad at the play I made before because... Um, Again, like I, I think that's an honest mistake. I don't think it's a, a mistake that uh, I'm, I'm just going out there and, and kind of being a playing a casual or something like turning it over for no reason at the blue line. Those are plays I make over and over in a game, and I was frustrated that play for sure. And then uh, I see Brady has got the puck in the slot, and it's either uh, at, at the point I'm at, I think it's either I think it turned out to be. I mean, we got scored on, so it wasn't a good penalty. But uh, it could have been because if he just goes by me, I think he's got a breakaway and probably scores on the, on the goalie. So it's almost like you kind of cut your losses on that one and you, you try and buy the PK a chance to, to kill one off for you and for the team. But, uh, yeah, overall, not a good play. and uh, It's not a good feeling going into the box after making that play. Uh, so definitely I, I wanted to, to get it back. I'm glad I, I got one for the team after, but uh, just not enough. Um, I, I wanted definitely to get more. And I, I wanted to ask about your goal because you're hot offensively. Do you kind of feel you and Ryan O'Reilly getting back to that that chemistry that you've had so much in the past? I, I look yeah. and, I, and I kind of feel it. Do you feel it on the ice? Yeah, well, I think it's been coming for a while, and it's nice that the uh, the results are starting to happen more. I, I don't know that we've ever lost our our, uh, our chemistry. I think some other other things have happened uh, over the last couple of months that, uh, in part, would have changed that. And, and uh, but yeah, it's nice to just get back to it. I, I think I just want to go out there, work hard, do my thing, and uh, I hope that uh, or I feel the same way. I know that he does, and we got to keep building. I, I think we're a line that can really bring a lot of guidance on the ice, a lot of guidance through the storm that we're going through right now, and uh, it's important that we do it, and we will. David, with uh, Zach Sanford back in town, I went back and I was looking at Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final because I remember that fourth goal that he scored. You were um, on the assist there, and that made it 4 nothing Blues, third period, Game 7, Stanley Cup Final. And I was thinking about you last night. When that goal was scored, did you allow yourself in that moment to think, we're going to win the Stanley Cup, or did you not believe it until the final horn sounded? I, I guess the question is: At what point yeah. in that game did you feel like we've done it? Um, well, when Shutter scored three-one, that helped, and then I, I feel like at four-one, with the time left was there, we were going to win. So I, I did <laughs> let myself go for I don't know five, ten seconds there, uh, just kind of experiencing how special it was going to be. And I know that we had like one or two more shifts as a line after that, and. I really had to refocus myself, and I do believe in those two shifts. Like, I kind of forgot about that play. I was like, "All right, well, it's not time yet. Let's." Like, yeah, I, I know it was a great, go- great goal by uh, Zach and everything. Good moment for him in his career. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think I just kind of waited for the last minute, and then the, the whole bench kind of started erupting, and uh, it was a crazy moment. David Perron, a couple more quick things. Number one, uh, you've got another home game against the Rangers coming up on Thursday before you head to Nashville. Do you like the idea of this team getting back into the division games? It seems like if you are 
kind of down, if you're dealing with adversity, one thing that gets us going as fans is playing those division games. They provide energy for us. Do division games provide energy for you guys? Yeah, yeah, they do. It's it's great. I, I love seeing the Blues fans on the road. I love how many fans we had uh, in New Jersey. I know they had a trip, I think, for season ticket holders or, or all that stuff. I love how many fans we have when we go to Chicago, we go to Nashville. It's one of the for Blues fans, I, I I believe it's one of the best places uh, for, for them to go down. You go down the night before, you can uh, go on, on the main street there, have a couple of drinks, have fun with, with your friends, and then the next day there's a Blues game. The fans always bring the noise there if we have a good game. So um, I hope to see a lot of them again uh, this weekend. It's going to be a fun weekend for us. A lot of hockey coming up, but uh, I think it's, it's coming up at the right time. We're, I, I think we're used to, over the last couple of years to just play every other day, and we're kind of getting back down to the schedule here soon. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Well, we're looking forward to a great stretch run. It's amazing that there's still 26 games to go. These really are the dog days, and uh, we know that you guys yeah. are going to work through it and go get the Rangers tomorrow night. Yeah, sounds good. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. David Perron with us, as he is every week on 101 ESPN. Hey, Every team, like he said, every team's going to deal with adversity. And I, I agree with him, especially for some of the young guys like Jordan Cairo, who hasn't been around, Mikola, who hasn't been around mm-hmm. for the kind of adversity that you have to deal with in the playoffs. I think it is good to face some regular season adversity. It is, and this is why it's so valuable to talk to someone who's on the ice and in the room like that. You forget that some of those guys haven't had a full schedule, that that their introduction into the NHL has been during a pandemic when things have been disrupted, and at this point in the season, fatigue might set in. And that's not necessarily an excuse, but it is something that we can look at to kind of explain what the Blues might be going through right now. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up... How about NFL moves versus MLB moves? What interests us more? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Nine seventeen in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, it is amazing to look back and realize that Max Scherzer signed with the Mets his three-year, hundred thirty million dollar deal right before Thanksgiving, and then baseball on December first went into their lockout. Since we last had any interesting things happen in baseball, which to me probably was the Max Scherzer signing. You've had the most amazing NFL divisional weekend in history. <laughs> yeah. You had six consecutive games that ended with a field goal. You had a Super Bowl. You've had an NBA season in which the Lakers have kind of collapsed. You've had now two of the five biggest NFL stars in the news yesterday with an extension and a trade. Can I throw in in the yeah. NBA, you had... The Ben Simmons, Harden stuff. You, right. You've had a lot of movement and transaction involving stars and big storylines in right. the NBA. Since the last time anything interested, interesting happened in baseball, and I think specifically with the NFL, and Jack Flaherty had a tweet yesterday about the NFL and about the Apple TV contract. And it, to paraphrase, and you can look it up, but it, it basically it said, Nobody's talking about this Apple TV contract because of what happened in the NFL. It doesn't matter if baseball 
I'm telling you, if Jack Flaherty gets traded to the Dodgers, if baseball has transactions and Jack Flaherty gets traded to the Dodgers, Rodgers and Wilson are still bigger news. And you might go to ESPN.com and it might be at the bottom of their headlines or it might be on their MLB tab. But there are a lot more interesting things happening in other sports that are bigger deals than anything that's happening in baseball. Okay, let's think of the comp here. Because if we went to, let's say, Houston, and we went into a grocery store in Houston, and we showed 20 people in Houston a picture of Jack Flaherty, would they know who he is? Nope. He's a young star in baseball. He's Mm -hmm. obviously got a lot of talent. What's the NFL comp? Is he... Uh, I don't know if Ryan Tannehill's the right comp. Is he? I think it's Joe Burrow. No, uh, Joe Joe Burrow's. Because he I played think, in the Super Bowl on a higher tier. Yeah, and well, I guess he did get hurt. Joe Burrow did. Uh, but Joe, but Joe Burrow was in our consciousness because he won a national championship. Herbert? You know, I think it's a little different. Uh, uh, maybe maybe Derek Carr is the comp. Yeah, Jack Flaherty had the best second half of a season that anybody has ever had in the history of the sport. But how many people know who he is? Is my that's, point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's why I'm saying that other players in if you have if you're a quarterback that has the best second half of a season that anybody's ever had everybody in America knows who you are yes and they would be talking about it all the time right so I guess let's Justin Herbert could be a good comp young guy and emerging star even though Jack Flaherty is more established um but a starting pitcher is essentially what a quarterback is right unless you're Mm -hmm. a three-hole power hitter that's you know those are the two front-facing guys on your team normally and I was thinking about this yesterday is there any two players in baseball that could make decisions or transactions that could be made that could ever touch what the NFL did yesterday? I don't think there are. I would say that Scherzer's free agent move was probably one of those. What would the other one be? Was Maybe like Fernando Tatis Jr. or something? If on the same day, if, if we go back in time, and Scherzer moves as a free agent and Mookie Betts gets traded on the same day, I don't think that rises to the level of Rodgers and Wilson and what happened yesterday in the NFL. Okay, that's a good comp because both have won World Series. Both are established just like Rodgers and Wilson. But even then... So we're not even an NFL market, and we're making sure to talk about that in our opening segment. That is that is dedicated time that we're talking about NFL transactions, and we don't even have an NFL team in town. If that happened and it was Scherzer and Mookie Betts that were moving, it would be shocking. How many markets in America wouldn't even touch that as a topic? Yeah, the, most. Where, right? Whereas there's not yeah. one sports media entity today that is not talking about Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. No. It and, is the story and will be for the rest of the week. And here's the thing. For as much as we complain about Russell Wilson and his celebrity wife and his having his agent tell us what teams he wants to go to, or as much as we talk about the narcissistic nature of Aaron Rodgers... That's the kind of marketing that baseball players need to have. They need to get their names in People Magazine, in Us Weekly. They need to get their names out there as selfish. They need to get their names out there as celebrities. What baseball players are celebrities right now that Derek Jeter isn't playing anymore? Uh, Is, Is Aaron Judge a celebrity? Kind of. But not to the level of a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers no. or any of the stars in the NBA. So, 
baseball players are talking about how, well, it's on baseball to market us. No, it's not. It's on you to market you. And if you want you and your sport to be more popular and recognizable, then you have to do things to make yourself more popular and recognizable. Or unpopular. By the way, there is no such thing as bad PR. How often do we talk about Aaron Rodgers during the offseason last year going to Hawaii? A lot, but by the way, which is why the Houston Astros cheating scandals is one of the best things to yeah, happen to baseball. Not from a competitive standpoint, obviously, from a PR standpoint, because it gave everyone a villain. People cared to tune in and watch them get booed and watch people throw things on the field and bang trash cans. People hate watch things. So the fact that the Houston Astros were all of a sudden this villainous team and obviously the the pandemic happening Mm -hmm. and kind of stopping their shame tour in its tracks I don't think helped baseball but having a villain is good for you from an entertainment standpoint not only that but if you're going to pick out recognizable players in baseball Jose Altuve is one Carlos Beltran is one Carlos Correa is one Justin Verlander is one so there's some guys that were involved with scandal with negative publicity but are more recognizable than their peers in the sport And still, by the way, not within a meteor strike of the biggest stars in the NFL. No. If, again, grocery store, I I always just use because it's Mm -hmm. a compilation of different demographics, ages, socioeconomic statuses. It's just different people. If you walked into any grocery store in America and you said, name five NFL players, I think everybody could do it. Even little kids. They could name five NFL players. Do you think that you can walk in a grocery store, any market in America, and, and any person can name five baseball players? No. And if we take the top three sports, let's look at it this way. We go into a grocery store and we say, okay, we're going to give you that the biggest, most visible football star is Tom Brady. And we'll give you that the biggest, most visible basketball star is LeBron James. Who's the biggest, most visible baseball star? First name that comes to mind is Mike Trout, but that is not fair because he is, quote, the best player in the game. He is not the biggest star no, in the game. He's not. Then I think Fernando Tatis Jr., because he's on the cover of video games, he's a, a very dynamic personality, but I don't think he's, he hasn't won yet. He's not really to the level where everyone in the country would unanimously agree that he's the, the most popular player. The problem is we're sports people and we have to think about this. And by the way, if you go in, some people might say Rodgers. Some people might say Wilson, whatever. Some people might say Odell Beckham Jr. All people that you would recognize. All people that if you went to magazines on the shelves in that grocery store, you find them and, or maybe even on the covers. No doubt about LeBron, right? Yeah, but Tom Brady. We have to retired, th- but- think about the fact or the idea of who the base, biggest baseball star is. The fact that baseball doesn't have a cemented face of the game is a problem. Yeah. The fact that we can't, off the top of our heads, lift off, list off the top five stars in the game is a problem. And instead of addressing making the game more entertaining, instead of addressing the marketing of their stars and how they're going to make baseball more appealing to the masses, they're not playing no. games and they're fighting over money. And by the way, I'll, I'll go back to this. The players need to take it upon themselves to market as well. It's not just a baseball job. It's a player's job too. I think some players have when you when you look at the NBA, fashion is at the forefront mm-hmm. of the NBA. The NFL too, but specifically basketball. The outfits that guys wear in and out of the arenas and to their pressers is a topic of conversation on social media. I think so many baseball players have tried to do that. I think a lot of guys, I mean, look at some Oh, hold on. <laughs> One of my favorite people in the world, Dave Bessler, is in the house. 
Hello, Dave. How are you? Hello. You went to a Twins game? Yes, we did. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah, no, no problem. The uh, the CFO of Hubbard Broadcasting and one of my favorite people. There's our CEO, Ginny Morris. Hi, Hi Ginny. Hi, everyone. So it's great to see our management, <laughs> the best management in America in town. <laughs> That's right. They are. Great people. Randy's been waiting for this moment all day long. I have. I'm so I happy it them. happened on live radio, too. <laughs> as, as we're talking about, about baseball, something more important comes up, which I appreciate. I'm glad they noticed I'm wearing my jacket. I know, Randy. That blazer. Again, I tweeted Thank it you. at M. Smallman. If you want to see Randy, he, somebody had a great comment that said it looks like you're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and yeah. I co-sign on that. Yeah, kind of, it's kind of a butter color. It's not yeah. so much gold. It's, it's a cool beautiful jacket. jacket. But anyway, back to baseball. This is the problem, is that they should be addressing how they make their stars more yeah. visible. How how do we lean into the fashion component of this? How how do we lean into the marketing component of this? And I think some guys have done a good job, but there needs to be a, a more concerted effort within the game as a whole. Ba- baseball needs to go to GQ or they need to go to TikTok. All of these different yeah. places where people are consuming media that are outside of just the sports world, and that's the audience that you need to capture. We'll do a segment on this tomorrow. How, how can baseball players better market themselves. But next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is time for... Well, as we mentioned, Randy, last segment, a big day in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers announcing that he's going to stay with the Packers. Russell Wilson traded to the Denver Broncos for two firsts, two seconds, a fifth. Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant, and Denver also got a fourth rounder. And I think the most surprising thing wasn't even that Russell Wilson got moved, Randy, but that the reports coming out said that Denver was always in on Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, who most people had connected to the Broncos, not even a consideration. Here is Adam Schefter talking about that desire of Denver to go after Russell Wilson. It's a case where they have been dialed in with the Seahawks in recent days. Those talks heated up. George Payton, the Broncos general manager, initiated those talks. And you'll notice that the Denver Broncos didn't have a single trade conversation with the Green Bay Packers this offseason regarding Aaron Rodgers but they've had multiple significant conversations with the Seattle Seahawks regarding Russell Wilson. And those talks have been going on for a couple of weeks now. This was the quarterback that Denver was targeting. And so in the end, I don't think that even if Aaron Rodgers had decided, I want to go to Denver, I don't know that that was going to be an option here because Denver was moving down the road with Seattle. That would have been interesting, though, if Aaron Rodgers did decide, I'm interested in going a little Rocky Mountain high. What would they have done? Would Wilson still have been their target? I think if he would have said, hey, I like Nathaniel Hackett, I want to go there. I I can't imagine that the Packers would have been on board with that. I think the Packers are kind of like the Cardinals. I don't think that they want to go into rebuild mode. And I think if they don't have Aaron Rodgers, if they make the same trade, they're admitting that they're in rebuild mode. Mm-hmm. Mode. The Seahawks are releasing Bobby Wagner. They're going full rebuild. I don't think the Packers want to do that. And I do really believe that the Packers would have had to have gotten something substantial back in terms of another quarterback if they were going to make that move. 
You're killing me, Smalls. Well, you mentioned Bobby Wagner being released, Randy, yesterday, which was the other component of this for Seattle. He and Russell Wilson were actually drafted on the same day in 2012, and now they leave Seattle on the same day 10 years later. Both of them are franchise cornerstones. This is going to save the Seahawks $16.6 million in cash and salary cap space, but obviously a franchise-altering move on both ends of the ball for the Seattle Seahawks. And Bobby Wagner very easily could have been a St. Louis Ram. And that was, whether he's telling the truth or not, we don't know. But that was the thing that bothered in his time in St. Louis, I guess from aside from having to spend time helping to design a stadium in L.A., the thing that bothered <laughs> Jeff Fisher the most because Les Snead traded down and the Rams were not able to get Bobby Wagner, the Seahawks did, and He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the all-time great players. And I, I I really think now, if you're a Seahawks fan and Richard Sherman isn't there and Bobby Wagner isn't there and Russell Wilson isn't there and it, it's just a different animal altogether. And it once again, goes to show how close they were to winning two Super Bowls. If Wilson doesn't throw that pick to Malcolm Butler, they're a two-time Super Bowl champion. I'll bet most of those guys are still around because the Seahawks are thinking, okay, emotionally we're tied to these guys. But they have no problem letting Richard Sherman go and letting Bobby Wagner go now and letting Marshawn Lynch walk for a couple of years. I would have thought I would think kind of like the Rams here with Super Bowl 36 if they win that second Super Bowl, the future in Seattle is dramatically different than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, if you're a Seahawks fan, how do you feel today? Yes, you got a bunch of picks and some players back for Russell Wilson. And if you knew he was unhappy and he likely wanted out, at least you got a big package in exchange for him. But you can't feel great about the state of your team right now. No, you're going backwards with a 70-year-old head coach. You're starting from scratch with a 70-year-old head coach. And yeah, I, I can't imagine that they feel that great about it. You're killing me, Small! But the street- by, by the way, I... I didn't give the right player. It was Isaiah Peed. Oh, okay. When the Rams traded down, they thought they were going to get Bobby Wagner at number 50. He winds, winds up going at number 47 to Seattle. And the Rams had traded down for more picks. And they wind up with a uh, guy, if he was a woman, would be named Eileen uh, and, rather than Bobby Wagner. Isaiah Peed or yeah. Bobby Wagner. Who'd you rather have? I don't know, Randy. That's a tough, tough call. Tough call. What's Isaiah Peed doing these days? upset here. Uh... He had a car accident and lost a leg. Oh, do you, that's, do you, oh, know, my, that's do you know how many times I, I mocked Bobby Wagner? Perfect strong side linebacker next to James Laurinaitis. It would have been perfect. This is bothering me. This is going to eat away. Yeah, it should. Day. should. And Levante it, David a couple years earlier should have been in the second round as well. It would have been a Hall of Fame linebacking yep. core. And then a couple of years later when the Rams drafted Maurice Alexander, I think in the fourth round. Maurice Eureka kid. Remember him? Yeah. And somebody asked Fisher how mad he would have been had they not gotten Alexander. He said, I would have been Bobby Wagner mad. He said that. He did. Yeah. That was the comp. He was. He would have been Bobby, Bobby Wagner, Wagner mad yeah. about Maurice Alexander. Yeah. There should be a 30 for 30 done on just the inept moves made by that Rams front office. Intentionally inept. Yeah. But my gosh, the list is endless. It's really wild. Yeah.
You're killing me, Small. Well, Randy, the streets are talking, though, about Seattle. And this may not be their end game. Maybe they're not in a rebuild, but mm. perhaps a retool. Because the streets are saying that they might have their eye on one Deshaun Watson. Mm. Now, Friday is going to be a pivotal day in the case, uh, surra- the cases, I should say, multiple cases surrounding Deshaun Watson because a couple key steps are happening into the criminal investigation on this Friday. He's slated for his first deposition in the sexual sexual misconduct civil lawsuits brought against him and reports are coming out that his legal camp is telling him to plead the fifth in testimony i wonder what happens then if he pleads the fifth i'm just thinking from an nfl standpoint if he pleads the fifth doesn't that make him look guilty if you're an nfl team doesn't he look guilty then I think that if you're an NFL team, you're just looking for this to not go the criminal route and you're looking for it to be wrapped up. I don't think these teams, Randy, really care about any sort of admission of guilt. I think they're looking at the talent that Deshaun Watson possesses. And I think regardless of whether they think he's innocent or guilty, they want him under center. I don't disagree. And I do think that that is a community with so many transplants and people that are just kind of fans. I think that... Are you talking Seattle? Yeah, Seattle is the kind of place where if you bring a guy like Deshaun Watson there as an athlete, I don't think that the the community could collectively muster up the anger to really cause that to be an issue. I also think we have learned that sports fans forgive a lot and that winning cures all. And yes, the optics might be bad, but if they can point to the situation, say everything from a legal standpoint is wrapped up, no no Mm -hmm. criminal charges. We live in a society where you're innocent until proven guilty. And what we do know beyond a shred of a doubt is that he's a talented quarterback and he's going to make our team better. And then guess what, Randy? He'll probably go out and ball Mm -hmm. and let's say by November, are we even talking about nope. any of the legalities that that had once surrounded Deshaun Watson? Or are we saying, look at him, is he in the conversation for an MVP discussion? He uh, is Tyreek Hill in Kansas City, isn't this he? This is what will happen. Right. And I think in that specific area of the country, number one, it's hard to get to. It's kind of an outpost. But my guess would be that on the day they trade for Deshaun Watson, a lot of people are outraged. But a lot of other people say, hey, Seahawks got Watson. Let's go puff the magic dragon. That's what's going to happen. They're going to take advantage of the Chiba, right? They're they're just going to go back and go to their lives. And then when the Seahawks start playing, they'll say, hey, who's that number four playing quarterback for the Seahawks? He's pretty good. I think that's what happens. Smoking, and, smoking the Chiba? Yeah, they, get it. They, can, they have access to the Acapulco Black up there. There's no doubt about it. I think whether they're partaking in the devil's lettuce or not, even if if they don't choose to go down that route, I think that if he's a good quarterback, people will forget. And I think it's I'm, my point is I'm not is, saying they should. By the way, I'm just I'm dealing in reality here. No, but I also think in Seattle, where it's been legal for I think wasn't that this first state where it was legal to uh, Let's find out. To take advantage of the broccolo, uh, I think uh, I think Colorado, Colorado ahead yeah, of Washington because Colorado, Colorado, like, Colorado was like 2012. They had T-shirts in Washington that said "Let mm. Timmy Smoke." It's California, '96. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. So anyway, uh, my point is is that they're pretty laid back up there, and I don't think that that's a community that can muster enough anger for Deshaun Watson being their quarterback. 
They'll just say, hey, let's have some more muggles. Muggles? What is this, Harry Potter? <laughs> That's the wacky weed, Michelle. No, you know. a muggle uh, is a non-magic person in Harry Potter world. Oh, is it? Well, yeah. this is magic. <laughs> the magic dragon, right? The magic smoke. The Mary and the Johnny. It's a good children's movie, Randy, and I won't stand you slandering it. The Mary and the Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Pakistani Black, Michelle. The Sweet Lucy. I, th- I think Pakistani Black's actually a different th- a different thing than, than what we're the, talking no, about. No, well, this is the Bambalacha. <laughs> I think it might be Pakistani Gold. Uh, it could be that. Could the be Black's, the African Woodbine. something else. Could be the Banano. The Banano. Yeah. Just saying. At least one of these is opium, I swear. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, just in Seattle, they get Deshaun Watson, they're going to blow a stick, and they're not going to be too fired up about it. Okay. And now we're going to break after that one. It's <laughs> <laughs> Michelle. I'm Randy. And uh, coming up, what's on tap as we head towards the balloon party on 101 ESPN. Enjoy that boom. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan and Action Jackson coming up with the balloon party at the top of the hour. And Michelle, apparently the Players Association is getting together right now. And hopefully by the end of the day, whether it's during the balloon party, probably not during the balloon party, but maybe during BK and Ferrario between 11 and 2 or the fast lane from 2 and 6, hopefully we'll get definitive positive word about a baseball season for 2012 because... Yesterday, owners were supposed to say, we're canceling games again. I would guess if they don't get something by the end of today, and the owners, as we've mentioned, have made what appears to be a representative offer, my guess is is that they will cancel more games at the end of today, and we probably won't have talks for the rest of the week if they don't come to an agreement today. I thought that was what the deal was yesterday, Randy. I thought that the deadline was yesterday. But 16 hours of talks changes people's opinions. That is true, but that tells me that these these quote, deadlines are arbitrary. Oh, yeah, because they canceled (laughs) games a week and a half ago, and then yesterday we're saying, well, if we don't come to an agreement by today, we won't play 162 games. I already thought we weren't playing 162 games. You're 100% right. So did I. But I do think that it's positive momentum that both sides have been talking, and it seems like a lot of these issues are ironed out. But I still, Randy, even though we're hearing reports that they're getting close, have no confidence in either side to get it done today. I don't. Because you think they're idiots? Well, just because I think both sides are so dug in and they want to make the other side lose. And I can see one side proposing something or or trying to make an amendment to something that sets the other side off. And then tomorrow we're talking about them missing more games. I'm with you. Meanwhile, the Blues are back in action tomorrow. I've mentioned that I'm not worried about the Blues. Michelle, my philosophy about the panic bus. And by the way, we haven't even had it washed in a long time. It's really dusty. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of drab right now. As a matter of fact, if we pull out the panic. There might be flat tires on the panic bus because it's just been sitting for such a long time. Yeah, I might need to jump. Yeah, I don't know that the panic bus is something that I'll even consider this year unless the Blues go like on an 11-game losing streak and they can't find their game at all, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't concern myself with a four-game losing streak at this time of year. And maybe I should, maybe I'm naive, but I really have confidence in this team's ability to find a way to win games. 
I have confidence in them as well. We've seen them overcome a lot this season already. But it, it does concern me a little bit, Randy. And I know David Perron brought up some great points about a lot of guys on this team, young guys particularly, not having a full NHL season or guys getting back into the rhythm of having a full NHL season after years of disruptions because of a pandemic and what this section of the schedule kind of represents for them finding that groove again. I am a little concerned that they seem to play down to competition. And I know that that really won't affect them come playoff time because you're going to have to be up for every opponent that you have. But as we get down this stretch, the last remaining stretch of games, every point is going to matter for them. Mm -hmm. And I know that the competition that they have on deck is going to be higher. I mean, starting with the Rangers tomorrow. But I just don't like that they don't have their foot on the gas all the time, regardless of the skill set of the opposition. And I do believe one of the reasons for that is they... They have not had a 100% Oscar Sundquist. And, the engine. Right. Craig Ruby calls him the engine for the team. And he's out right now, and Ruby says he's just not getting any better. Maybe that knee is going to need a full year to get to where it was before the injury. But if you're missing your engine, if you, if you have a car that doesn't have an engine, it's not going to go very well. Oh, so you. I almost sneezed. Are you sneezing? So I, I, I do think that the Blues are going to... They're going to have to find a way, whether it's somebody like Barbashev taking it upon himself to be more of an Oscar Sundquist type, or maybe a Brandon Saad takes it upon himself to be more of that guy. Because when you're missing an Oscar Sundquist at both ends of the ice, you're, you're kind of missing the heartbeat of your team. True, but I also don't like that one player missing could impact the team that much. But it's amazing how over the years it has with him. Since he turned good for that 2018-2019 season, the record for the Blues with him in the lineup and without him in the lineup has been striking. They're a much better team with Sunquist in the lineup. Is he the Harrison Bader of the Blues? He might be. Because you always give the stat about Harrison Bader. When he was not on the field for the Cardinals, their win-loss record was vastly different. He 20 came- games over, 61-41 with Bader in the lineup, and I believe five games under without him. Yeah, he changes the complexity of the team. Yeah. And Harrison Bader's not the first person we talk about when we talk about the reasons for the Cardinals' success, just like Oscar Sundquist wouldn't be the first person that we talk about. But both of them play important roles. Right. And so I think that's probably something that Barubi and his staff are looking at, is who can step up and serve in that role and be the the guy that is the energy guy for this team, because if you're going to look for one reason that the Blues haven't won the last four games, it's because they haven't had that energy. They haven't obviously gone to the net enough. They they haven't maintained puck possession in the offensive zone, and they have to do that if they're going to succeed. That's the team they are. And like David said, they've got some guys that just don't play that game. And he's not going to name names, but Jordan Cairo is more of a skill player. He mm-hmm. just doesn't play that kind of game. He's not a heavy player. Butchnevich is, even though he has a great 200-foot game, Butchnevich is not the kind of guy that is going to be forward-checking and pounding people into the end boards and maintaining puck possession that way. He's more of a skilled player. This is a different team than the one in 2019. And those players that... Well, let's put it this way. Everybody's going to have to learn how to, if they haven't already, learn how to play with each other. And there are going to be lines that are going to have to play a different style than that O'Reilly, Kairou, Perron line is playing. 
if we're adding elements from 2019 that we miss, that we wish we could add to this team, I miss a Pat Maroon. I miss that, yep. big, that big body in front of the net, the big rig, the guy that will chirp at the opposition, throw down when he needs to, a little sandpaper. I wish we could infuse more of that element into this team, too. And maybe that's something that they can get at the trade deadline. If they go out and make a deal for a guy like Giordano. I don't think Hampus Lindholm is that kind of guy. Giordano's been around the block. He's a tough player. He He's gritty, but he does provide some offense, eh? But he's the kind of guy that, because of his veteran status, I think can kind of pull a team into the fight with him. And there's no doubt that the Blues need that. Uh, let's see. One uh, quick question for you. Okay. Uh, Shoot. Boston Cup Series. Sunquist suspension, lost. Barbashev suspension, lost both games. That's right. Those two are engine-type players. you got to have those kind of guys. All right, Tim McKernan is coming up. Great job today by our producer and engineer, the one and only Matt Rocchio. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome, Randy. Thank you. I didn't get my pleasure out of that. <laughs> pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very Just much. Just pleasure. Okay, good. Mm. Michelle, this was fun. What a great hump day, Randy. Hump day! Yeah. And we'll do it again tomorrow. It'll be the day after hump day. It'll be Friday Eve with Carriker and Smallman. And again, hello and thank you to all of the great management in town <laughs> that helps out here at Hubbard Radio. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.